beautiful song. Uh, children's Church, you may go over to the fellowship hall, follow Miss Flo over there. Um, I'm sure she's got something awesome planned for you guys. Um, so this morning, um, we're going to be preaching on baptism. <laughs> um, I'm going to preach on baptism a little bit different than it's typically preached. Um, the thing about baptism is typically you have somebody and they'll highlight on one portion or another. Um, baptism's a pretty large spectrum and the things that it actually encompasses. And sometimes you'll have somebody and they'll preach on baptism and they'll preach on the identification portion of it or the cleansing portion of it. And they won't highlight the other aspects of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to preach on the technicality of baptism, the symbolism of baptism, and then we're going to finish with my favorite aspect of it, and the beauty of baptism. So there's five points of baptism, and I'm sorry, I didn't tell you guys where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Romans 6, uh, verse 1, if you want to turn there, and then after we are there, we'll be in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. so you can mark your place, 1 Peter 3.18, and then turn over to Romans 6, verse 1. So what I want to do is, while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you the five points of baptism. And then when we read this passage from Romans 6, I want you to look and see if you can identify these five points. And then, of course, we'll go back through the passage and we'll show you each of the five points. Um, and hopefully that way it will actually lodge and the actual meaning of baptism will stick. So the five points of baptism are repentance, initiation, identification, cleansing, and freedom. Repentance, initiation, or preparation, identification, cleansing, and freedom. And freedom is also remission, forgiveness. So Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been... For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So what we're going to do, five points of baptism, repentance, initiation, identification, cleansing, and freedom. So verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the repentance portion. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Repentance is a changing of the mindset and the actions follow. It actually is a picture of doing a 180. You're walking in one direction and you turn around and you begin to walk in another direction. So repentance is the first portion of baptism. When John the Baptist comes out on the scene in Mark chapter 1, he's baptizing for the repentance to prepare the way for the Lord. 
And essentially, when we baptize in the name of Christ, what we're doing, one aspect of that is we are baptizing for repentance to prepare the way of the Lord in our life. Does that make sense? We are baptizing ourselves into repentance. That's the first aspect of it. The second portion is initiation. And this is going to be verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Initiation or preparation. In the Old Testament, and I know this is kind of piece by piece and it may not seem fluent, but it will at the end, I promise. In the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood or the priests that were chosen to minister to God they would have what's called a bronze laver outside the tabernacle. And they would have to get in and they would have to thoroughly wash themselves, which is where baptism comes from. And they would have to scrub themselves clean so that they would be able to go into the presence of the Lord and minister to the Lord. And the second aspect of baptism is initiation or preparation. It is cleansing us so that we might minister in the presence of the Lord. So the first aspect of baptism is repentance or preparing the way of the Lord. And the second aspect of baptism is initiation or preparation. It's preparing us so that we might minister in the presence of the Lord. Is this making sense? I'm trying to be very, very detailed here because I want this to stick. I don't want to preach a charismatic message and you need to walk away with nothing. I want you to understand the technical portion of baptism, and then we'll get into the preaching in a minute. The third aspect of baptism is identification, and that's verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Identification. When you think about baptism, especially in the time of Christ, when somebody had a rabbi or a teacher, they would be baptized and identify with that particular teacher. So when Jesus is baptized by, I'm sorry, so when we are baptized into the name of Christ, we are baptized aligning ourselves with his teaching. It's identifying ourselves with Christ as our rabbi, as our teacher, as our master. The next next portion is cleansing, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Cleansing our old self, the old man, the man that we're putting off because when you're accepting Christ as your Savior, you become a new creation. Behold, all things are made new. So your old self is put to death. You become new. The last portion, and probably the most important portion of baptism, is freedom. And you can see that in verse 6 and 7. The end of verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. See, baptism in its technical understanding or the technical portion of baptism is understanding that we're baptized into Christ. Sin no longer has a hold on us because we have become the disciples of Christ. All right. So, five points of baptism. Repentance, initiation, identification, cleansing, and freedom. Now, 
I want to read verse 7 through 14, and then I want to actually begin preaching. I wanted to lay that foundation. And I'm really sorry. I'm being my voice is being a little bit choppy. Um, I've got a really bad migraine right now, so if you guys would pray for me, that would be awesome. Um, Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer hath dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. That's basically, verse 7 through 14, is basically just reaffirming our identification and our freedom in Christ, that we are now no longer under the bondage of the law, but we've moved from the bondage of the law and we've moved into grace. We're no longer under the power of sin, but through the resurrection of Christ, we have moved from sin to grace. We are now free from sin by the power of the risen Christ. So, if you would, turn over to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. That really says it all right there. Christ has also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The substitutionary sacrifice. That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, who, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, powers being made subject to Him. So I want you guys to picture this. Genesis chapter 6, God acknowledges the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of man. He says men's thoughts are evil continually. They're constantly thinking about violence. So he decides that he's going to wipe out the entire population of mankind. But then he finds Noah, and Noah found grace in God's sight. And I'm not so convinced that Noah found grace in God's sight because Noah was so special. I think Noah was probably just as bad as most people, but Noah still tried to worship God. And you can follow that when after the ark, Noah goes and plants a vineyard and gets drunk and, you know, has his several mess ups there. But I think Noah found grace in the eyes of God because he simply kept his eyes on God despite his sins, despite his faults, despite his failures. So God decides to extend mercy and grace to Noah. And he speaks to Noah and he says, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to wipe out the population. And Hebrews in his account of Noah says that Noah, being warned of God of things that have not yet happened, moved with fear, prepared an ark which saved his house. So Noah obeys. And God sends the flood or the deluge or whatever you want to call it. And he wipes out all of the wickedness from the earth. He baptizes the earth. And Noah and his family through the ark pass through the waters. 
And when the waters begin to subside, I really do apologize. My head is hurting so bad. <laughs> Please forgive me because I am stumbling pretty badly. So, God baptizes the earth. The waters begin to subside. And Noah sends out a raven. And when he sends out a raven, the raven flies to and fro throughout the earth and doesn't come back. And then Noah sends out a dove. And the dove flies, doesn't find any rest for the sole of its foot, and it comes back. And then he sends out another dove. And this dove brings back an olive branch. And then he sends a dove out the final time, and it doesn't come back. It finds rest for the sole of its foot. And I want you to, I want you to look at this. About 2,000 years later, there's a crazy man in the wilderness wearing camel skin. He eats locusts and he eats honey. And he's shouting, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's grabbing people and he's baptizing them for repentance of their sins to prepare the way of the Lord. And all of a sudden, one day, standing on the shore, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus... Christ comes walking up to be baptized by John. And I can just imagine John with tears in his eyes and says, God, I can't baptize you. I have need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says, let it happen to fulfill all righteousness. So John baptizes him. And when John pulls him up out of the water, he sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and landing upon Jesus. And the reason that I want you to see that story is because Noah had sent out a dove to find the promise. And the dove first came back with nothing. And the second time the dove came back, it brought back an olive branch or a symbol of the promise. And then it went and it landed on the promise. And the promise was, and we can see this in Genesis 9 verse 11 roundabout. God says, I'll never punish or judge the world by a flood again. So essentially, the promise was the freedom from judgment. And Noah sending out that dove, the dove finds rest for the soul of its foot. I believe personally, and you don't have to agree with me, that the reason the Holy Spirit chose the manifestation of a dove to land on Jesus is because it was a symbol saying, Jesus is that promise of freedom from judgment. Jesus is that promise. The Holy Spirit's landing, and in Jesus, we have freedom from judgment. In Jesus, we have that escape. In Jesus, we have that rest. That's why I believe that here Peter accounts Noah and saying from whence we receive baptism, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it talks about going into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God with everything being subject to Him. In Jesus, we have the freedom. In Jesus, we have freedom from judgment. We have freedom from the wrath of God because Christ is our promise. Does that make sense? So I want to go over this. And I really want this to be planted firmly in your mind. The technical portion of baptism, the five points, is repentance. We repent of our sins, acknowledge that we, outside of God, are wicked and all of our thoughts are only evil continually. So we realize that we're going in the wrong direction and we make a turn. We do a 180 and we start walking with God or walking towards God. 
That's the first aspect of baptism. The second is an initiation or preparation so that we might minister or dwell in the presence of the Lord. The third is the identification that in baptism we're identifying ourselves as disciples of Christ. We're identifying ourselves as belonging to Christ. The fourth portion is cleansing, and that's just the baptism being a symbol of our sins being washed away. When we baptize somebody, we put them to death by immersing them in water. They're in the grave as being submerged in the water. And then when we pull them out, it's a picture of them being raised from the dead. It's just like Christ died, was buried, and then was raised. So we die, we're buried, and we're raised with Christ. Colossians says, buried with Him in baptism. So, cleansing is putting off that sin. It being washed away as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And then the final portion is freedom. And it's the freedom from sin. It's freedom from the bondage of the law. It's a freedom from the strains and the stress. It's a freedom from the wrath of God. It's a promise of being able to abide in the rest and the peace and the hope that is in Christ Jesus because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a freedom knowing that baptism, and this is one portion of it, in baptism we see so many people get delivered from bondages that they've had on their life. Uh, sinful addictions that they can't put off, things that control them, that constrain them, that they can't get off of them. We see those bondages broke when we see people baptized. It's not just a freedom from the spiritual portion, but it can be a freedom from the portion that affects our soul, that affects our mind. We can see people baptized and we can see their thoughts changed. And then the symbol of baptism is this, the prophetic de- declaration of being baptized into his death, buried with him in baptism, and raised with him out of the water from the dead, understanding that in Christ we're a new creation, that all things are passed away, and all things are made new. So I know in this, I've only been up here for about 18 minutes. That's not that long, but I want you to understand something. It isn't, it isn't going to take, I didn't plan on taking a whole lot of time. I wanted to finish up so that everybody had time if they needed to leave to get an outfit, if they needed to get ready. Um, But really and truthfully, I just want you guys to understand that baptism is super important. It's not the extent of you can if you're not baptized you're not saved baptism is something that follows salvation it's more of a we're baptizing people because it's what christ commands us to do in the great commission go preach the gospel baptizing in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost teaching them to obey whatsoever i've commanded you we're fulfilling christ's great commission and that's really all i have i'm so sorry i I'm going to have to go take some some excedrin. <laughs> but um, if you guys would, let's just let's just pray and I I'm going to I'm going to wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I apologize for this morning. I apologize that I wasn't be- more eloquent or better at explaining what I was trying to get across. 
But I just ask that regardless of my failures, regardless of my weaknesses, Lord, that the message that what you're, what you're putting forth, what your word says, what baptism actually encompasses, Lord, I ask that you just take that and that you drill it into their hearts. Lord, I ask that it penetrate them regardless of who I am. And I firmly believe that in spite of everything that's happened, your word will go forth. And it will not fail, but it will absolutely accomplish the purpose for which it was set forth. In Jesus' name, amen.